Hello and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the Panorama Room of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the first Hint Review of the NAC English Theatre's 40th anniversary season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, Artistic Director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with a production. In this Hint Review podcast, Peter speaks with Max Reimer, Director, and Dana Takach, Choreographer and Assistant Director of The Drowsy Chaperone, playing in the theatre at the NAC until October 31st. For more information about the NAC Theatre Company's production of The Drowsy Chaperone, please visit nac-cna.ca and click on English Theatre. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Peter Hinton. I'm the Artistic Director of English Theatre here. And uh, I'm very, very excited and honoured to welcome today two very distinguished artists and key, key players in our production. And I'm first going to tell you a little bit about them uh, before I will invite you to join me in welcoming them here today. To my extreme left is Max Reimer, who's the director of The Drowsy Chaperone. And uh, Max was last at the NAC as an actor in Duddy. Some of you might remember that, the musical adaptation of The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz and Singing and Dancing Tonight. And he was also choreographer for Anne of Green Gables. Max has directed over 200 plays and musicals from Victoria to Charlottetown, and he's now the Artistic Managing Director of the Vancouver Playhouse, where his directorial debut for that company in his new position on the throne was The Drowsy Chaperone. Max was Managing Artistic Director of Hamilton's Theatre Aquarius from 1996 to 2008, winning the Ontario Lieutenant Governor's Award for Excellence in Business in the Arts, the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce Tourism Ambassador, and was named the mentor of Sante Smith, winner of the first Canada Council John Hobday Award of Mentorship for Excellence in Arts Administration. Max was the Artistic Director General Manager at Huron County Playhouse from 1993 to 1996 and was a member of the Stratford Festival Company from 1985 to 87 as Associate Director for Irma LaDuce and Choreographer for Cymbeline and the Boys from Syracuse. Please join me in welcoming Max Reimer. To my immediate left, we have Dana Tikach, 
And Dana is the choreographer for the show you're going to see this afternoon, Drowsy, and was the assistant director. So hopefully, I want to talk a bit about that relationship. Who does what? How do you work together? Who's the boss? All of that. Dana, her choreography credits include A Midsummer Night's Dream, Palmer Park, All's Well That Ends Well, directed by Marty Meriden, A Grand Night for Stratford Festival between 2004 and 2006. She was assistant choreographer on The Music Man and my one and only for Stratford and The Drowsy Chaperone for Vancouver Playhouse. Uh, earning a Jesse nomination, and that is the Theatre Awards in Vancouver, for a significant artistic achievement. Uh, her credits as an actor, because not only does Dana choreograph and direct, she also is a, a marvelous performer. Uh, she was in Shakespeare's Universe, her infinite variety at Stratford last season. Mayella in To Kill a Mockingbird. Remember Mayella, the horrible, oh. <laughs> Mickey in My One and Only. She was in South Pacific, Oliver, and I hold such a dear special place in my heart with Dana because she played Cinderella in the production of Into the Woods that I directed at Stratford. She also played Ermengarde in Hello, Dolly. She was in Guys and Dolls, Anything Goes, Gigi, Hunchback of Notre Dame, My Fair Lady, and on her day off, she was in Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> she played Judy in the Canadian premiere of White Christmas for Neptune Theater, the title role in Little Red Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk and Swing for the Sterling Festival, British Invasion 2, Stage West Calgary, The Boyfriend, The Music Man for Drayton Entertainment, and Dana is the proud recipient of two Tyrone Guthrie Awards and the Richard March Award. Dana T. Catch. <laughs> As uh, many of you might know already, The Drowsy Chaperone itself is an amazing story of a, a show that was written literally as a gift for a wedding. And so one of the creators, Bob Martin, you'll notice in the show today, the, main, the male, male lead, his name is Robert Martin, and Janet Vandergraaff, who was his fiancée, um, was written for their wedding, and from there it went on, and it turned into a show, and it went from a 100-seat theater to a 200-seat theater to an 800-seat theater, and it ended up on Broadway, winning five Tony Awards, being nominated for five Tony Awards in 2006. And Max was the first person to direct a Canadian production of the show since its triumph on Broadway, and uh, introduced his tenure at the Vancouver Playhouse with that. And it was so successful and so celebrated. Uh, the Citadel Theatre and the NAC, we went, we, we really want to bring this to you. We want Ottawa to be able to see it. And Bob's audience is in Edmonton. And so we're very, very proud to have been able to do that and celebrate our 40th year because it's such a great Canadian success story. When did you first hear about the Drowsy Chaperone? What does it mean to you? Uh, you've done so much yeah. musical theater work. Yeah. I heard about it at every stage, but it was always just something of um, a bit of an oddity, a bit of an interest. It was, um, it was a little piece that was 
never aspired. Well, it didn't initially aspire to being on Broadway. And so it just, it just, it played for itself. It was, uh, at times, the writers referred to it as a valentine, as a gift to each other. It had such a feeling of, of uh, sharing. And I, I think the concern early on was, uh, how would it feel? Could we, could we make the family big enough and bring in an, a large audience? And would they be able to, to, uh, to appreciate it? There was concerns about the title. People were, thought, that's an odd title. You, you have to change the title. Um, and I remember hearing about all of those things as it developed along. But ultimately, the, the story was compelling. The music was delightful. And the whole idea of it as, as a as a valentine, as a, a love letter to ourselves and including a larger family, I think really took hold in these times. And that was what I was really attracted to, the idea that uh, something was of a time yeah. and that it was something for us. And if we could just make the us bigger, just big enough that we could have uh, seven or 800 people also in that family, then maybe this would really be something to do. I hadn't seen the act, any of the incarnations. I had read it yeah. and, uh, and uh, wanted to do that uh, just from the script. And uh, in a way, part of the revisioning was out of just going by what was on the page. I, I had not seen how they actually interpreted it the first time around. So thus came a, a new interpretation, supported yeah. by the writers. They were yeah. very happy to see that. But that's how the show came into my consciousness. It's very interesting that because we had on uh, two nights ago Bob Martin, one of the writers of the show and the namesake of the groom, uh, came to see the production here. And he, outside of an understudy rehearsal on Broadway, he had never seen another production of The Drowsy Chaperone. So needless to say, the cast was a little, you know... uh, but it was great. Uh, for, he was so enjoyed seeing those differences and, and what was also similar and all of that. Well, Lisa too. Lisa who wrote the music. And yeah. sometimes they can be the strictest because music is written. Yeah. It, it's there. The, you're either on the note or you're not. But she was uh, so generous in loving new interpretations of how things were done. Very encouraging to us as a production company. She saw it earlier on in the, um, yeah. in the Vancouver incarnation. And uh, I think that's, that's a sign of mature writers. And considering that this is something that uh, they had just launched on Broadway, to have that interest in seeing it interpreted by other artists and that it can be done several ways. Because as you know, some writers are very protective about interpretation and they, they want yep. to see it done in one particular way. So the generosity of these writers, I think, ha- will make this piece live into many visions um, by many different companies all across the world. So Beautiful. I think that's, that's a testament to their openness as artists. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dana, what about you? What was your first introduction to Drowsy? And well, it's because Drowsy is like a big celebration of the 20s musical. It certainly is, I know, yeah. You've done a lot of those. I have done, <laughs> I have done a lot of those. You know what, it, this was a, a very fortuitous thing for me that I was actually considering, because I still am an actor, uh, auditioning for Janet Vandegraaff. Um, But I work at Stratford, I was at Stratford at the time, and Max was auditioning people, and I couldn't be there. And um, the next phone call I got, my agent and Max speaking, was... Was to, was to work on it as a choreographer, which to me was a little bit out of left field, and yet was a perfect fit, because my skill set is exactly uh, appropriate to a 20s musical. And uh, I felt very, um, 
I was just thrilled because I think the music's extraordinary. The arrangements, the, the arrangements uh, that are just little gems all the way through the show are you don't have to listen to them very many times to want to dance. You just want to dance right away. And so I thought sort of from the beginning that, that it was, it was going to be a, a really beautiful ride. And it was exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. And the show celebrates, you know, all of the great music. It's one of the great golden ages of the musical, isn't Absolutely. it? The 1920s. Absolutely. Cole Porter, Gershwin. I mean, there's... And, and yet this show manages to pay homage to those forms and yet be its own thing too. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I'm sure you've done a lot of those actual Precisely. shows from the 20s too, Max. So. That, was, that was it. I mean, the, the, we thought, and again, early worries were not an issue, but w- would the people enjoy it if they didn't have these references? But uh, we found right. that audiences that do have the references are, are aware of, of the, when they see the elements, they go, oh, I see, they're doing a little takeoff on that. Uh, they, it makes it extra enjoyable, but the man in chair helps usher us through that. But also young people who are seeing the show for the first time um, without the, a lot of those references could also really enjoy it um, because he, he sort of ushers us into that style so nicely and the, 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 uh, con- the construct of the man in chair sitting and helping us into this musical through his passion and his, his love of it is, uh, is a great, great device that gets us in there. But the 20s musicals were, uh, were just so astounding. Um, the ability to, to just launch into something with uh, that exponential um, emotional capability that music provides and dancing provides and take a thought and just either extend it through through um, through time into make a plot move forward but also the ability to stop and take a moment that might pass in real time might be a moment of saying i love you and spend two and a half minutes in that moment and just make that actually just dance around yeah uh, it, it's uh it's just uh it's just a delight and uh to approach that in all its corniness uh, as something that's really uh, still very delightful right to our core. That's what I think yeah. the Drowsy Chaperone captures and ushers and shoehorns us in so nicely. It's called a musical within a comedy. Yes. And Max has made some references to a character called Man in the Chair. And uh, I, it's so tricky, this one, because I don't want to do the spoiler alert thing. I don't want to ruin it because, and usually I don't care about that, but in this, it's so delightful. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It is. It's to special. discover that, but there's an, there's another character in the musical, and it's someone of one of you. It's an audience member. It's someone who loves musicals, and so you get an opportunity to learn about the form while the form is being enacted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's uh, such a it's such a great. And again, what's coming? It, it's never it never goes into parody. Uh, it's and the difference between, and, and people would, would say, well, why do you, why do you object to that uh, description? And I think it's because apparently we make fun of something. And I think what this is, we have fun within it. Um, and it has a different feeling. It's, it, I, I think of it again like family. Uh, as family members at a good time, you can, you can talk about each other in ways that you can get away with um, characterizations that are exaggerated because, well, after all, we're all family. And I think that this does that to the art form. And um, because, like you said, that was how it was conceived, as a gift for friends who are all, in fact, in musical theater, so. Mm. 
There was something deeply reverent that Max instilled in the company from the first day, that we weren't ever going to comment on it or make fun of it in any way, but that we were going to, you know, just participate in loving it. And there was something about, sometimes in musicals can be uh, looked at in different ways, and some people really like them, there's different skill sets involved, and with this one it was that we were going to honor all three skill sets and, and make every single moment of it. Uh, matter and it was just a beautiful way for a company to immediately we galvanized immediately and and watched it watched it sort of blossom and and it, that came right from the very very beginning just that reverence for for the art form and what a yeah. beautiful thing to be in a in a situation it pays like that. homage in a kind of mm-hmm. warts and all way like mm-hmm. this is what's sublime about the form this is what's preposterous about yes, it this is what's <laughs> ridiculous and about both it. you know. Absolutely. It's and a, joy joy in the ridiculous. Mm. How marvelous that Aldolfo is Aldolfo. <laughs> you know, At one point, the man, the man says, the scene couldn't be more ridiculous. But then he sits down and watches it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so That's it's, right. It's just, it's just terrific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that this this uh, you know what's described as this golden age of of musicals came about in a period like the twenties of of excess of wealth of the roaring twenties, and then continued equally as strongly, if not even perhaps more so, into the nineteen thirties and in America the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Not that that has any relationship to time now. No. We can identify it <laughs> all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you ever talk about that or think oh, yes. about that? Why oh, this yeah. show now and how it relates to yeah. real life? And there, there's a it, it, again, not to, not to give anything away, but there's a there's a uh, there's a sadness uh, that that it prevails a lot of comedy. It's 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 a strange thing to to, to describe, yes. but we found the. The truer, we, after moments of touching base with the, the 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 surround that must have been happening for these characters, what was going on in the world, and uh, and what is going on for our audiences, it's um, it, it, it oddly when we play it reverently and with truth, it's actually funnier, and we found ourselves laughing um, deeply with um, with points of recognition, and just understanding the the context of these things. I mean. There's a passing reference to the fact that uh, where the champagne flowed and the caviar chilled and life was a party. <laughs> well, for the wealthy anyway. It's just said like that. And it's, it's, so, um, it's so poignant, actually. And I think that uh, it was a real exercise for us to, the closer we got to the, the truth of that, um, it actually felt, it felt more fun. And uh, the audience seemed to really enjoy coming along with that bit of yeah. knowledge of what context this must be in and what it is for our world right now, too. Absolutely. You know, there's an often, um, oh, discussed, heated debates take place in a lot of bars and theaters about musical theater being somehow shallow and still the legitimate theater Mm -hmm. means a straight play. Yep. That there's something illegitimate about the musical. And it's interesting because right now we're doing this research project at the same time called The Ark, that some of you might know. And we're doing Greek tragedy. And you think, how far away could that be from the drowsy chaperone? And yet, all of us were able to draw connections between... What do you feel when you get the, uh, oh, I do legitimate theater, you guys do musicals? (laughs) 
Well, oh. what is that? Well, Thank I, you. I, 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 I have to say <laughs> one thing. We can talk about that. Yes, yes, we can. And, and we're talking to the right person because I know that uh, you've, you've come clean on this knowing that you love musicals. You love I the form. I love that. <laughs> and so I am just so pleased. And yet you're considered a, yeah. a, a great director of legitimate theater. So I'm, I'm very, very happy to have you in our corner as well. But it's, it's, uh, it's, I think anything can be done well. I think part of what gives musical theater its difficulties is because it can be so popular and it's so uh -huh. accessible, it can be done poorly and get by. Uh, so what happens is we've, we've seen incarnations of musicals that have uh, played uh, less, less so um, in terms of the, the skills that are required. And, um, and then that's what people think mu all musicals are. But everything can be done well. And when a musical takes a, takes a moment and investigates it with music, and, and when you add music to anything, I mean, my goodness, it just, uh, it, 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 you, can look at, you can look at a moment emotionally and connect to a moment in a way that you, you, you just don't have those m mechanisms in a, in, a, in a regular play. So I think... Um, it, it, is, it is interesting to go through, uh, go through your career, uh, and in my case, specializing in musicals, and, and uh, to be thought shallow. Um, I don't know. It's my, it's my little joke. I don't think I'm and shallow at all. And the skill. Oh, I mean, gosh. the skill you need as yes. a director, I'll tell you, a musical. As an actor as well. As an actor as well, yeah. yeah. What's your take on that? this? Uh, I have yes. a very strong, strong Let it off your strong, chest. I mean, let off. it off my chest. Because I, I was at Stratford for a long time yeah. where, you know, it's a classical company. And here I was doing uh, my one and only or Into the Woods or whatever, musicals. Um, I often think that some of the biggest critics um, of musicals are... Certainly people who don't have the extra skill sets, but also, <laughs> just saying, just saying. Just saying. You know, but also uh, people that perhaps don't understand the art form, because it is an art form. And the language in a script, if you read the, the book of a musical, the language isn't realistic, and it's not um, uh, natural, and it's not, it's a heightened, separate Form. It's a different way of speaking. If you watch a Fred and Ginger musical, and everybody likes to trash the books of those as well, though they did them fairly well, you might agree with me. Dana's created a whole show about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. I did, yeah. So and I just... She is, uh, <laughs> knows... I really feel like, and certainly with you on the first day of rehearsals in, in uh, Into the Woods, when you said that we were working on a, a work of art, that was such an amazing thing, because I really think that oftentimes, from all different uh, perspectives, it's a lack of understanding of the form. And I think it's not necessarily that all musical books are bad. It's that you need to pay them respect, and you need to understand that in order to burst into song, because that's all you can do, because you can't possibly do anything else, you can't be casually sitting like this and then burst into song you have to casually move forward so you can't do anything but burst into song yeah so i think that i think <laughs> or like a soliloquy in shakespeare exactly. or yeah an and, aria and, in the opera yeah. and heaven's heaven heaven knows we've seen productions of shakespeare not always you know it happens right. yeah. to every form yeah. of art that yeah. there isn't all it's not always good and i do think that um i just think they they deserve the kind of respect and care and uh that, that Max has instilled in this show. I think it's really important. I think they're very important. I think in a time like uh, as we're in right now with the economy and everything that's happened, exactly like it was, not exactly, but in the 30s, the, the 
incredible work that came out of that decade. It makes perfect sense to me because we need, we need to escape. We need to have an hour and a half be about song and dance and tapping and the heartbeat that happens with a whole audience when a, when a person puts on tap shoes and tap dances, everybody's heart in the whole room changes. It changes. I'm telling you, it does. I think it's very special. You know, yeah, right on. <laughs> I asked Diana to wear her tap shoes. I can't. She's sure going to give a little demo for us <laughs> in a moment. But, you know, if we forget, like, there are great examples of people like Brent Carver, mm -hmm. right? Plays Hamlet at Stratford and Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. John Uliot, yes. who plays oh Robert Martin today, is, can do anything. Yes. This guy played Brick and Pat on a Hot Tin Roof at the Citadel. He played Angelo at Measure for Measure. And here he is, and he learned to tap dance for, for this, this show. production. Yeah. He's, he, he's in all the shows at the city. You know, the cast call him Johnny Citadel. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, right, I have said that. You know? Yeah. It's an amazing thing, this duality of talents. Okay, in a nutshell, in a Reader's Digest version, what are the keys, what are, what's the big thing a director does on a musical? I think you have to create, um, well, certainly tone once you've decided what it is you're doing. But it's also just, I think the audience has to come away with something. They, I think an audience will go anywhere you want, but they want a little, they want a bit of an itinerary. And I think you have to make them comfortable right off the top. And I think the cast needs to know, what's our in? How, do, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? How are we going to come at this? It's like creating a sandbox. If you're, uh, before you start trying to build the little castles and the little, the little structures, you just have to feel, what are the rules of this sandbox? What, what are the rules of this little universe? In a way, it's terribly empowering. You're almost like a little god of this little universe that you're going to work in. But it's best to harness all the creative energy of all the people involved, that you let them build the castles and just sort of tell them what, what this little universe is all about. And um, if everybody can f figure out that this is, this is how this works, then they can contribute. The contributions in this show are astounding. Uh, and yet, as a director, I never felt uh, that I didn't have the ability to shape it. Uh, but, it was, but once everybody understood what was going on, they were able to move it forward. I, the easiest way to describe this, I think, is actually in when it's not right. I have worked for directors <laughs> who right. want to get in there and build all the castles and just try to put your hands where they need them to be. And, and what you find is that then you have, a, you have about 190 hours of rehearsal. If you read the play, now you have 188. So you've only, a, a director can only talk so fast and so completely. Eventually, you're going to run out of time and words. But if, if you can sort of give everybody a plan and they can start to work, then all of a sudden... The play is rich and dense and clear, and it has good through line, and it is, it's, it's magnificent, and everything contributes at the right time. Each scene, everybody knows what it's about and how, they, how they're part of it. So uh, you can pull back further and further, and then it just feels its so much fun. I don't understand why a director would do it any other way. But uh, that, that was, uh, 
we were able to harness a tremendous amount of creativity. You, you talked earlier about our relationship. Yeah. When, when um, Dana and I decided to tackle this, and we had never worked together in, in this capacity. We'd worked once before oh, as, um, as, an, as, uh, as an actor. See, I just assumed that. No, no. This, was, this was... This was brand new. Brand and, new. Uh, and I wanted to have... Uh, I knew that she had all the skills... But I also knew because I'm a, I was a, in another life, I was a choreographer. So I, I wanted to have some input. And I thought, fair is fair. I know how a choreographer and a director should integrate. So I said, we'll, we'll speak as two, two, two equals in the room. I'd like to be able to talk about the choreography and input the choreography. And you are absolutely able to uh, shape and create characters and moments. And uh, the two of us worked as a, as a team in that regard. Completely. And uh, it was always, it was seamless. I, I would be able to sit back in the chair and Dana would take the rehearsal and it was never a concern whether it was actually steps or scenes. And she was able to take it through and then I was able to jump up with uh, my broken knee and, and uh, <laughs> look, look around and, and, and try to pretend that I could still do things. And Which he totally and can. Max is an extraordinary, uh, was and is an extraordinary dancer. And, and he's extremely good at something that we call lifting, and <clears throat> which is when, quite literally, a man, usually lifting the woman, though I have lifted a man before, you know, flips and all of a sudden a girl is upside down on, a, on an arm. We were in rehearsals in the very first week and I was working out some of the lifts for, for Deb and Max literally got up and I was trying to show one of the young bucks in the company and Max walked over and went, oh, you mean this? <laughs> and I was up above his head, I just had to say. It was one of those things where I thought, wow, and yeah, strong, anyway, amazing. It's so much fun. <laughs> uh, it, it was, uh, but through this integration, I think when you what you see there is you'll see that the choreography does seem to come spontaneously out yeah. of the scenes, and you do see that, that it's integrated. It does seem natural out of the blue that there is, as the manager says, spontaneous tangoing, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really a joy to be able to work in that regard. But uh, to have to have the uh, Dana's Dana's. Through this, through this musical, you see all these different skills. I mean, Dana can, in fact, tap, as you're about to see. And, but she's also an accomplished musician. She plays a saxophone. Yes. She, she can do all of these other things. And I remember in... in um, it's, just, it's just all these skills come, come, uh, are useful when we're working on a musical. You'll see that, that this just, it just never seems to end. It's uh, 100 and, 105 or 110 minutes of straight through and they just one item after another and it's because of people like Dana that just has a seemingly infinite uh, bag of tricks. <laughs> um, speaking of bag of tracks, <laughs> I'm wondering if you could show us just a little... Sure I can. A couple of things. Sure I can. It's so cool. How exciting. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so it's... Uh, Your turn, and 
That's amazing, eh? Is it beautiful? I mean, this little blonde, and she strikes the floor so hard. <laughs> Gorgeous. Well, thank you, Max. Thank you, Dana, so thank much you. for all your work on this beautiful show and for chatting with us this afternoon. Thank you very much. That's all for this edition of the Interviews Podcast. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to interviews at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast sections of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.